watched the LSU and Texas A&M game last night. That went into seven overtimes. 72 to 74. Enough football, right? All right. I got to lower that one and bring up my other notes. There we go. Okay. We are currently, man, that there. In our homeschool, we're learning about the Middle Ages, and it's probably, except for ancient history, Roman, Greece, Middle Ages is my favorite thing to teach, and this is my fourth go-around in the Middle Ages. And uh, today we're going to talk about something that we think of as a medieval concept, and that's a, a culture of honor. We think of the medieval times as having a culture of honor, the way they held honor up. You, had, you did things because of honor. Um, and the definition of honor... What we think of as far as the Middle Eastern is this external code of behavior that defines the duties of an individual. So when someone was knighted, there was a certain code of honor that they had to adhere to. This is external behavior that they were agreeing to do that was, that was agreed upon also by the community that they were a part of. And so it's, and the emphasis here I want to think about is our understanding of, of honor, at least the medieval understanding, is an external thing. But the problem with that is that honor meant that if you did something to my family, honor dictated that I do something to your family. And it was a culture in which honor dictates that I must take up offense for those who've been wounded that I, that I hold that's part of my group. So I must take up offense for those who've been offended. But in the kingdom, a culture of honor is not a taking up offense and taking sides and all. And neither is it an external, but it relies on internal transformation. Romans 10, 12, 10, sorry, encourages us to be devoted to one another in love and honor one another above yourselves. Romans was written to a church that had used and Gentiles bickering back and forth trying to figure out who actually was better than the other one. And then about three-fourths of the way through the, through the letter, Paul says, I want you to honor the others above yourselves. Kingdom thinking, a kingdom culture of honor is you matter and I matter. And so often in relationships, it's either a, an aggressive, I matter, you don't, or a passive, you matter, I don't, or a passive-aggressive, you matter, not but in a kingdom culture of honor, you matter and I matter. So what does a kingdom, what does a culture of honor look like in a church? One thing is, means is that we all get to happen. We all get to show up here uniquely, authentically ourselves, fully ourselves. We don't have to put part of who we are on a shelf or leave it in the vehicle when we walk in the door. We can bring ourselves, full selves, here that we can bring our diverse personalities, our gifts, our callings to this community. Not only, this isn't just a passive invitation for you to come, it's an active invitation to be you. But not just an active invitation, it's a we need you. In a culture of honor, we realize that we cannot be who we are if you are not allowed to be who you are. So you come to this community and are allowed to be full of you. You get to happen. It's not just a few individuals get to be or get to happen. Everybody gets to happen. In a culture of honor, that means we're all permitted to be authentic. We, it doesn't mean that... Let's face it, there are certain personalities, and I would include mine in them, that steps on toes more often than personalities like my husband's personality. And it's not intentional. Part of, well, I'm not going to go there. 
But um, so it's not necessarily an excuse for me to be insensitive. But then I don't have to, we don't have to walk on eggshells. We're not constantly... When there's glitches, we had a glitch this morning. And that's an opportunity for us to take up an offense and get frustrated. But in a culture of honor, hey, it's just a glitch, it's a glitch, it's a glitch. Stuff happens, that's no big deal. We don't need to worry about it. We don't need to get all up in arms. It doesn't mean that I can say whatever I want and you just got to deal with it. It doesn't mean that... Um, well, it doesn't mean that... Um, it, it doesn't matter. See, in a culture of honor, you matter and I matter. So while I get to show up fully me, you matter to me. And I'm aware of that in my interactions with you. We also know where to take our offenses. A culture of honor means that we accurately acknowledge who people are and what they carry. And we allow them to bring that. John 4.4 4 says that a prophet is without honor in his hometown. Well, prophets are weird people. Sorry to those who are prophets among us. They can be weird people. There's a series of conversations of one of my groups here, the, the attention between prophets and teachers. Well, the teachers don't really care about revelation. I'm like, yeah, they do. Well, prophets, they're just the insensible ones. You know, there's a, there can be a tension when our gifts come together because of what we see as important. And when we don't honor what the other person carries, we can't receive what they carry. We have a tendency, I believe, to in an effort to be humble, to downplay the need for labels. Well, you just don't need, you don't need a label. Well, if I have, when I broke my rib, if I had gone to the doctor, and he's like, oh, I can't do anything for you. Sorry, you're just going to have to deal with it. And I left angry, but then I realized I saw a cardiologist. I can't really be angry at the doctor for not helping me fix my rib. I went to the wrong doctor. And he was not able to give me what I, was, what I needed. So I needed the label. I needed, when I'm looking for a doctor, I need an orthopedist. Orth, yeah, yeah, an orthopedist. I was going to get orthopedic. And too many times, so often it's so easy to go to someone and talk with them and we're needing pastoral care and we're getting an apostle who says, just get up and get, your, get, just get in gear. Or we need revelation and we're getting a teacher who's just telling us what we ought to do rather than what God is saying. But in a culture of honor, we recognize what each person carries and we know who carries what we need. And we can go to, the, go to the one we need. I need pastoral care and I know who to go to. I know where to get my knees net. And it also opens me up to be able to receive because honor is not blocking the what means for me to receive what you carry. Now with all these diverse gifts, personalities, callings, different uh, things that we notice and because of who we are, a culture of honor also necessitates a lifestyle of confrontation, but a confrontation that's done in a healthy way, not a confrontation what I think most of us are used to. So a culture of honor is founded on three things. I don't know if I'll, I'm going to try to use this. What happened to my marker? There it is. There's, there's three core values, and the first one is freedom. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is Freedom. We can't have, wherever he is, if there's not freedom, then the spirit's being hindered in some way. Or oftentimes the spirit is hindered because we're trying to do the spirit's work. But there's two, two things about this, several things about this freedom, but two kind of sizes of the, of the same coin of freedom. Remember in a culture of honor, medieval understanding, and even much the idea of honor in a, in a 
in the Middle Eastern culture is there's this external pressure. But when there's freedom, freedom recognizes that transformation comes because of inner. And it allows freedom to happen. There's not a reliance on that external pressure. Galatians 5 tells, Paul wrote to the Galatians, that it's for freedom that Christ has set you free. Why are you going to yoke yourselves again to a bond of slavery? Stand firm. And don't let yourselves be yoked again. In a culture of honor, we don't trade one set of rules for another set of rules. That's, you know, one church, there's this code of things that you you figure out as you're there to try to figure out how to behave. And you think you're going to get free of that if you go to another church. But only if if there's a culture of honor there, there's not enough. But if if there's no culture of honor, there's going to be another set of rules you have to live by. You might not have to wear... You might have to look the right part as far as what you wear, but you might have to look the part in how you worship. But in a culture of honor, there's not that external pressure to conform. There's a freedom for each person to, to be who they need to be. We don't need to fix or control each other. And neither do we need to conform who we are to meet that standard. Now, this isn't a license to act like a jerk. It doesn't mean... But it's a, it's, a, it's a freedom to not have to walk around on eggshells. Eric Reeder was recently at the house, and one thing he said stuck out at me. Offense is an event. Being offended is a choice. When we're dealing with people with different personalities, gifts, callings, and from different backgrounds with different normals, offense is going to happen. But it's our, it's our choice whether we're going to get offended or not. Being offended, there are several things that happens. There are several... Um, Reasons, precursors, the causes, offense. One is that it's an old wound that's been pushed, bumped up against. It's been triggered. We've been triggered uh, with my shoulder away. It's been, it's not so much anymore now that it's in the healing process. But in the first couple months, it didn't, it didn't take much just to bump something. And it would just shoot pain through my arm. And, it's, and, and that's what happens emotional. When emotional wounds are touched by an individual that they don't really know it then it can cause offense to rise up. If we're used to people not inviting us, and it's a, it's a wound that from whenever that we don't get invited, we just don't fit in, then we come to a congregation who wants us to fit in, but when, when, we, when that gets missed or overlooked, either intentionally or intentionally, it pushes that wound. And see, I don't fit in here either. And it can cause an offense. But if we could, if we could look at triggers... And offenses as a means of checking up, do I need some healing? And I, now, I, what I'm saying that, this is not a means of saying, well, if you got hurt, it's your fault. That's not what I'm saying. I feel like in every interaction, good, bad, or ugly, there is something we can learn in that, react, in that interaction. There's something we can grow from. And it's the same with offense. And so I can, what, what is it? I, was, I can't remember what it was now, because my memory just doesn't always serve me when I need it to. But there was something that I was getting, it was hurting me, it was bothering me, it was upsetting me, and I, I had to sit back and say, what is it about this event that's really bothering me? And I can't remember what the event was, but I'll tell you how the, what the Lord spoke to me. But we can take that to the Lord and say, hey, is this, is this a trigger, is this a wound that still needs healing? And it might not be. It might be something else. But offenses happen because a wound has been touched, that it's not fully healed. Offenses happen because we see in other people what we believe about ourselves and we think they're the ones that are saying it and it's really our own voice saying it. If, if I believe I'm worthy of rejection, I will see you as rejecting me 
but it's what I'm speaking over myself. And it's, it's not where you're, you're not rejecting me. But I'm seeing it because I believe that about myself, but I think you're saying it to me. And that we need to, when we come to Jesus with our offenses, if it's not a wound, okay, is there something I'm believing about myself that I'm projecting on that person that I think they're saying when I'm really the one saying it? Offenses happen because we all have different normals. If you ever get married, when, when you get married, if you get married, it doesn't take very long to realize that you have two very different normals in some things. And what happens, we all, we, we know that that's true, but what happens is, if what I'm seeing going on in front of me or what's happening, if it's not my normal, I assign motive to it. If you really cared about me, you wouldn't treat me like that or you wouldn't do that. You know what, if you're, if, if, you're, if you really cared and valued our relationship, you would return my texts. Timely fashion. But that's, we have different normals. And those different normals can cause us to assign motive and allow offense to come. And it's just, just, different, it's just different normals. So freedom in a culture of honor and freedom being one of its core values we don't need to become someone else. I don't need to become someone else to make people happy. You can show up here for yourself. You don't have to become someone else. We're, we don't have in our minds something everybody needs to be for you to be part of this community. There's freedom there. And there's freedom for, you, for us to be at any particular place in our journey that we are. We're all at different places in our journey. And God is dealing with each of us on individual matters that aren't necessarily the same as what he's dealing with in other people. And we allow that freedom, in freedom, we allow the Holy Spirit to do a work in that person's life. But on the flip side of that, Paul also tells the Galatians to not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but in love and humility serve one another. So that means, no, I am not normally, I don't normally carry this, but if you need it, I can bring it for a time. Remember one, the one message I brought with the rubber band effect? Okay, I can, I can hold my fingers this way for a long time. That's what happens when we're, that's what it's like when we're operating in our gifts, personality, callings, and our everything. And I can, for a time, bring something else. But that's like putting a rubber band and that tension wears my fingers out. And so I can bring to the relationship what I need. I can bring to this community not what I need, what is needed. But after a while, if I get weary comes a time to say, I, I think that I don't really have what's needed here, but let me help you find someone who has it. Let me help you find someone who can meet this need. Unfortunately, I think sometimes our tendency is to feel like we have to keep doing it because that's what Jesus is like. This is what love looks like and this is what this person needs, so we have to do it. And we, and we can get weary, we can get burned out, and we can get prone to resentment and offense because we just we haven't recognized what we ourselves carry and given the freedom to say, I don't carry what this person needs, but I can help them find someone who does. I feel like in an opportunity of freedom, when one of my messages, when I talk, the message I gave, not here, but at, the, at Baltimore, men aren't perverts. One of the things I wanted to stress is I wanted to encourage young ladies that it's not your fault you have freedom, but can you lay aside your freedom because you love your brothers? 
And that's what, that's what in a culture of honor does. I do have freedom. I do have freedom. But I can lay aside my freedom for a time because you need me. And because I value you more than I value my freedom. And I'm not doing it out of obligation or an external pressure. I'm doing it because I love. And so that's that flip side of that coin of freedom. That we are free to be whoever we need to be. We are free to bring what we are, have. We're free to carry and do what God is asking us to do. And be who we are. But at the same time, we can put aside our freedoms when the situation calls for it. And when the person needs it. Because we value people. Now, a culture of honor, freedom, requires powerful people. And we think of powerful people as those who are in charge, those who get to say what everybody else does, those who are strong personalities who are always up front leading, CEOs, presidents, leaders of various things. That's what we think of as powerful people. And we think of powerless people as those who are always victims. Nothing goes right for them. Everything is always overwhelming them and they can't really feel it. So we have these two ideas of powerful and powerless people. But I don't think, I think there's a lot of people who are CEOs and in charge of people who, who are really powerless people. A powerful person is basically a person who says, I am in charge of me. And that's it. And on a good day, I'm in charge of me. <laughs> on a good day, I get it right. A powerful person has an intact responsibility. You can't make me angry. You can't make me hurt. You can't make me do or feel anything because I am in control of me. I'm a powerful person. A powerful person uses phrases like I will and I won't rather than I can't or I'll try. I remember when Danny Silk first said that I'll try is a powerless statement. I'm like, it is not a powerless statement. It's just I don't want to make promises I can't keep. And I found there was times that when Butch would say, hey, could you do such and such? I would say, I'll try because I was figuring I was forgetting. I was, I'd forget it. I was afraid I would forget it. Well, that's a powerful statement, powerless statement. Well, I'll try. But when I started making up my mind, I would wait. What does he want me to do? Okay, yes, I will do it. See, a powerful person knows that a yes to God often means a no to people. And then in a culture of honor, are we okay with people saying, no, I won't be able to do, no, I won't do that. We tend to be more comfortable with people saying, well, I don't have time or I don't have enough money. And we end up developing an orphan mindset rather than a wealth mindset because we want people's reasons to be based on lack rather than who they are and what they're called to be and do. And so, yes, I will do this because this fits into where God wants me to be. But no, I won't, but I will gladly help you find someone that will. I might be able to do it for a time, but this is not something that I'm able to do right now because I've said a yes to him, and that means a no here. Do you understand what I'm saying? So we have, so, um, in relationships, any relationship, we can have several combinations. When two powerless people get together, when there's two powerless people relating, is a relationship that's governed by fear and control. And often the stronger personality will control the... When I say stronger personality, I, sh- I don't even like that because we all have strength in us. It gives this idea that those who are outgoing and extroverts are strong and introverts and shy people are weak and it's not, that's not... I need to come up with a different language. But the one who is more dominant is going to control and, and the one who is less dominant fear is going to dictate what they do what I don't want to make my husband lived 25 years of our marriage 
afraid of making me mad. It was a powerless and a powerless relationship. And when I feel powerless, I get angry. And when he feels powerless, he just resigns. And so he lived most of his life afraid of pushing my buttons and getting me angry. And so he would do things out of fear. And that made me more angry, but... (laughs) He do things that I, I'm like. Just want you. To, I want to know what you're thinking. I'm like I want. He's like I want to know what you want me to think. But we had two powerless people, and one was afraid, acting out of fear, and one was acting out of a need to control. So that's when you have two powerless people together. You can have a powerful person and a powerless, powerful and powerless together, and that powerless person is going to be leaning and depending on that powerful person. That person is going to become their savior. Now, at some point, the powerful person can say, "I'm not your savior." And I will not continue to rescue you. But that's a dynamic that could break the relationship. But when you have two powerful people together, you have an interdependence where you get to be you, I get to be me, and we get to enjoy life together. We can do things together because we know where, I know where I stop and I know where your space starts. And we understand, we get it, we can, we can interact in a way that, hey, this is how I'm experiencing you. I'm sorry, let me, let me work on that. But you know what, this 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 interaction here this is what's causing me to feel and we're not like ah he didn't return my text he doesn't care see if I ever text that person again or whatever because we're powerful people we don't we're not concerned we know where we stop but it doesn't necessarily mean we're independent see in the other two relationships we have a dependency or a codependency going on this doesn't mean an independence a powerful and powerful it means an interdependence so the environment of freedom means that you get to live the way you were designed to live. You get to be who you were created to be without external pressure to become something else because we need it. And a culture of honor recognizes that God has redeemed us, his sons and daughters, to live as powerful people in freedom. But another core value of a culture of honor is that relationships and people have value. You matter. I matter. The relationship matters. An environment of freedom. I can be who I want to be, but I soon begin to care about how my choices are affecting those around me. How is my personality when I bring it to the table, how is it affecting the other person who's sitting across from me? And I want to know that because I have value for the relationship more than I have value for my freedom. And we want to protect connection with each other rather than, hey, I can be who I want to be. Well, like, yes, I can be who I want to be, but I want to know how I'm affecting you. That's what love does. That's what honor does because people have value. Connection matters. And having a value for someone means we embrace differences. Differences and diversity are a ripe opportunity for the enemy to divide us, but they are just as ripe and powerful to unite us. I am convinced that anything the, anything the enemy can use, the same degree of power God can use. If it's something the enemy has often used to divide, it has just as much power to unite if we were all me, heaven forbid, what that would look like. But there are a lot of things that wouldn't get noticed around here. There are a lot of things that wouldn't get done. There are a lot, there would be a lot of gaps. 
Diversity means each person brings a unique piece of the puzzle, and together we create this huge puzzle that's a beautiful picture because of the diversity. A monochromatic puzzle or painting, in my opinion, is boring. And contrasting colors is what makes a painting beautiful oftentimes. It's because there's a diversity in the painting. And it's the same way in a community. And there's an interesting thing, and it's this theory I have, um, that oftentimes the very thing that irritates me about someone, the flip side of it is something that I admire about them. I'm, I'm convinced that our strengths come with a corresponding weakness. And so it's kind of along those lines. You know how many times people get married and there's some, a trait that attracts them to that person and they need that. Say there's someone who's re- really disciplined and rigid and routine and they're attracted to someone who's spontaneity, spontaneous and fun and they like that. They need that in their life. But that very thing drives them crazy once they've been married. The very thing that we need in each other is often some aspect of the thing that irritates us. And when we refuse to take up offense and we intentionally decide to honor, that allows us to receive the very thing that we need that we can't receive because it, when it irritates us and we choose dishonor over honor. Diversity is a very important part of a community. And we need to allow it to unite us rather than divide us. Practicing honor and value for people is often reflected in our relationships. What will I say about people and what will I listen to? Bill Johnson and Linda just shared this recently. I've heard it several times. Bill Johnson will not say a negative thing about anybody. He's, he's committed to not, so no matter how much slander he's experiencing, he will not say a negative thing about anybody. And it's, that's challenged me when I read that. To, to step into, to, to walk more and more in honor where that can be said, that I'm not going to say anything negative about a person, no matter how much I disagree with them, no matter what I think. They're made in the image of God, and that's Jesus' kid. That's God's kid. We've got to be really careful if we're going to be, you know, what, what we say about them. Think about this, all you parents. Somebody says something about your kid. What, what's your, you're ready to rise up. And oftentimes what happens in the inter- interchange is I want to reach out to someone and I want to listen and understand, but what I don't realize is happening when we keep listening to something negative is gradually our heart gets turned away from the person that's being spoken about. It's kind of like if you're getting ready to buy a new car and you're looking at a certain make and model that you want, all of a sudden you see them all over the road. So when, when I come to someone and I share frustration about someone, it begins the process of highlighting that thing in that person's mind. So what do we do with those kinds of things? It's, for me, it's a matter of, you know what? I can't clean up that mess that that person made. They have to clean it up. I would be glad to go with you, though. But uh, there's nothing I can do. I can pray about it and I can go with you. Because I don't want my heart turned away from either of them. I don't want to be frustrated because I'm listening to this and I don't want to be frustrated with the other person. So in our conversations, what are we, what are we listening to? We all know the effect that listening to a lot of, conversa- a lot of videos and stuff and a lot of cussing when we hear it all the time. 
or a language that we don't like to use, we soon pick up on it. It soon becomes more natural because it's in there and it's the same thing. But another part of our conversations I think that's, I think we need to pay attention to is how much, what percentage of my conversations are about me? Have I left that conversation having learned something about somebody? Maybe not anything new, but do I know a little bit better how to pray for them this week? Do I know how their week went? Or did that conversation, I look back and realize they found a lot about how my week went, 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 or what I'm doing, or what I think is important, and I really don't know much about what's really going on in their heart. When we value people, we value knowing them. And we want to draw them out. We want them to be heard just as much as we want to be heard. When you're around people who've placed value, you feel known. When you're, it could be someone you don't really know real well, but you leave that conversation suddenly feeling known because they drew out of you what's inside of you. They just didn't spend the time talking about themselves. Now, it's a back and forth. It's not just, it's not just one person talking. It's a conversation that's a back and forth. And we get to know each other. It builds connection. It strengthens the connection between us. Connection is far more important than agreement. One of the, one of the uh, um, negatives, the weaknesses, the faults, they say of a teacher is they have to be right. And I would probably agree with that. that Danny, so in his talk where he's talking about the fivefold, he said, if you're arguing with a teacher, quit, they're right. And that's, sometimes that's the impression we can give people. But when we were out at uh, Bethel, Chris Valton in his message shared something, and I wanted to share this. It challenged me. I feel like I, I, I want the Lord to change that in me that I don't have to be right. And it's, it's I, th- I, think, I think it's coming. But anyway, in Romans 14, and I'm going to skim part of this chapter, this is where Paul is telling, you know what, one person thinks he can eat anything, another person thinks he can only eat vegetables. Let the one who eats not despise the one who can eat. You're not, how, who can you pass judgment on? And he's going down this. One person thinks one day is better. Another thinks they're all, all alike. Now think about this in the context of Paul. Paul is a champion of the new covenant. Paul is reminding them, don't go back to the law. Those things don't matter. It doesn't matter what you eat or drink. There's no value in those things. That's, but what Paul is saying here is, their theology might be messed up, but you can love them anyway. You don't have to correct their theology to have a relationship with them. Because your relationship with them and the value they feel from you, the love you have for them, is far more important than the fact that their theology might be just messed up a little bit. I can fix their theology like that. You're going to love them. And he ends, ends that section in verse 19. So then let us pursue what makes for peace and mutual upbuilding. And I'm... I've, if there's one thing I've learned with my personality and my gift set, being right does not build connection. Trying to convince people I'm right does nothing for relationship. It just distances us. It just puts a wall between us. It doesn't build connection. So being right really doesn't matter. Agreement doesn't matter. If I can leave a conversation, if we can leave a conversation understanding the person's viewpoint, understanding their heart, having seen a part of their heart, that's what matters. If that interaction has caused a deeper connection, even though agreement is not even nowhere near on the grid for any of us, if the connection's deeper, then that's been a good conversation. That's been a successful conversation. A culture of honor values people in relationships. 
intentionally building and protecting connection over, over anything else. There, there is a time for confrontation as far as right and wrong. I realize that. There is a time to speak to someone about their theology. There is a time. There is a time. But it should never be done in a way that breaks connection or, messes or ruins their dignity. It shouldn't be done in a way that just piles shame. It shouldn't be done in a way that speaks to who they are. It, it should be done in a way that's uplifting and edifying. And then there's a third one. I'm not really using this as much because I'm not used to it. Individual destinies, we all have them, are connected to a common purpose. I I believe that, okay, I have an individual destiny. And within my relationship with my husband, there's a common purpose that that my destiny unites with his and we have a common purpose. And in our family, there's a common purpose that my unique individual destiny is a part of. And in this broader gateway community, I have an individual destiny, you have an individual destiny, and it come, brings together, it unites, it is connected, is part of the common purpose that gateway is. And in a culture of honor, we all want to know that. Well, I want to know what you carry. We want to know what each other carry so we know how to relate, what to receive, where to go. And so I can honor you. I can honor you best if I know what you carry and I can honor that. But it also means we know where each individual fits in the machinery that makes up Gateway. We're not plugging people in because they're warm bodies and we need somebody to fill this. And there's a place for that of doing something because it needs to be done. But we want to know what each individual, what what do you burn for? What is the thing that if you did it the rest of your life you would be just happy? What is, it, what is that thing that when you do it, you feel like this is what I'm here for? This is what I was born for. So we've all participated in things that feel like, I feel like I'm, in a, I'm a, a square peg being pound, pounded into a round hole here. Like, or a whack-a-mole game. I, it, like, I can do this for a time, but man, I'm starting to feel really cramped. But we also know what it's like to do something and think, I could do this the rest of my life. I feel like this is what I was made for. What is that? Because we want to know that. We all want to know that. Because that, that you are called to, what you are gifted in, what you are wired for, we need it here. And in a culture of honor, we want to know that. We, we know that each person here is needed to become who we are, to fulfill what God has for Gateway. And honor appreciates that uniqueness and diversity. I've said it before about diversity, but it's also... Th- Uniqueness. We want uniqueness. We don't want everybody to lose their uniqueness when you get you. Know, you know when you when you marry someone, you don't want to you don't want to lose your uniqueness to form this. Becoming one flesh doesn't mean you're suddenly no longer unique. And the same way, when you come into a family in a covenant family, you don't have to lose your uniqueness. We need you to be uniquely you, because you bring something that we need. But sometimes I find that. It's hard for us to figure out really how, who we are. We, we know who we are in Christ, but trying to figure out where we fit. Because you're not sure. And if that's the case, if you're not sure what you burn for, if you're not sure what you're wired for, if you're not sure, I would recommend personality tests, gift discernment tests, talking with somebody, praying, asking Holy Spirit, just finding out where it is. What is your puzzle piece? 
What is it that makes you uniquely you? And in the same process, when talking with the Holy Spirit, what lies have I been told about me? What are the lies that I believe about me? That's distorting what I'm hearing from everybody else. What box? We all know what it's like to be in a box. I think. You ever felt like you were in a box? That people had you in a box that you've been wanting to get out of? Okay? What are the things that are in that box? You feel like, I don't fit here. That's not you. But what are the things you need to get out of? If you feel like you're in a box, it's a good time to talk with the Holy Spirit about getting out. And what, you, what lies? Who puts you in there? Why you're there? So that you can determine, so we can um, each individually discern what our unique calling is our unique individual destiny that, that connects to this common purpose. Because the culture of honor sees our unique callings as gifts, as essential, and our individual destinies as connected to who we are, to our common purpose and mission. And again, this is not a, okay, if that's how you are, I guess I'll, I'll deal with that. I'll be all right with that. I'll, I'll, I'll get used to that. It's not what I'm used to, but yeah. If that's how you are, I, don't, I certainly don't want you to become someone else just to make me happy. Now, a culture of honor says, that's different than what I'm used to, but I'm committed to knowing you, and I love you, and I want you to be free. I want to I I know what makes you tick. And what can I do to help you keep ticking? Because I value you. I want you free. I, 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 want, I want you free. And I have value for you. And I know I need you. We need each other. I would love for Gateway to be a place of honor. To develop a culture of honor here. And that happens when each of us can develop a culture of honor within our own hearts. And again, this is another place where we don't all develop the same place and not everybody's going to treat us with honor. Hopefully we can get to the place here where we treat each other with honor. But you go very far outside those doors and you're soon going to meet people who treat you with dishonor. But we can still honor people, not because they're honorable, but because we are honorable people. I can walk, we can walk in relationship with people with love and honor, respect and value, not because they are exhibiting those but because I will, because they have that. You have value. We have value. So I will treat you with someone who has value. I can honor you and respect you. We all can. I don't like using that you and me because I don't, I don't mean, especially when I'm doing this. It's like. <laughs> <laughs> but we walk in relationships where people don't always honor us and see our value. But that doesn't mean that we can't honor them and see their value. Yeah. Now, in a relationship where one person values the connection and the other doesn't, it's okay to put boundaries. And I am often asked in our SOZO trainings, what's the difference between boundaries and walls? And one of the biggest differences, boundaries have an access place. Walls don't. Walls are designed to keep people out. Boundaries have a gate. Is there going to be honor? There's going to be respect? Is there gonna, are you going to care for my heart? Am I going to care for your heart? 
there's this gateway that, hey, if we do this, we can, but we, if, if in a relationship where I am not experiencing or you are not experiencing, let's put it that way, because I'm more the one that's going to blow this, dishonor, it's okay to move that person to an outer circle and not allow them access, complete access to your heart. But there's still a gate there somewhere that that access will be permitted. It's not a wall keeping them out permanently. If you've ever been to a... Um, I am always amazed when I go to another country how many other countries have walls so high. And I've, I've thought, in this, Haiti, Guatemala, and Brazil, the houses all have walls around them, but there's no personal space. Here in America, we have personal space. We might not have walls around our houses, but we have walls around our beings. And walls are designed to keep people out. Fences and, are like boundaries. Boundaries are like fences. If we can talk, we can talk and have a relationship over a boundary because it's just like a fence. We gather around it. And so it is okay in, if people are treating with dishonor to move them to an outer, to an outer circle and then work on the relationship so that if, if it's necessary, not everybody needs to be in your inner circle. I know we don't. I know we don't like clicks, but you can only maintain so many close relationships. We 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 can't. I mean, so it's okay to to have people in different circles. Some people might move closer, and some people might move away. That's okay. If if we feel like everybody here and everybody we're in a relationship with has to be in that inner circle, we're going. I don't know. We can't function that way. We'll burn out real quick. So it's okay. But is there an access point in your boundaries? For people to get in. And if I honor your access point, if I honor that gate, if I honor you, I'm going to find out what you need from me so that gate can be opened so I can begin to care for your heart again. I know with my personality and the way I've said things that hurt people, unintentionally usually, but I'll be honest, I run my mouth and I usually say things before I think. And it's okay, move me to an outer circle. But then it's up to me. Do I honor you? Do I value you enough to do what you need so that I can get closer to your heart? It's okay for you to take the time to convince me, for me to convince you I'll care for your heart and I'm sorry I didn't. I'm sorry that I didn't care for your heart in that conversation, but let me clean up my mess. And a culture of honor gives people opportunity to clean up their messes rather than just going on and saying, well, they made the mess. I guess I can't really trust them and I'll just not worry about that well and it stinks and smells up the place but we all kind of ignore it in a culture of honor we give people an opportunity to clean up the messes they've made and make ourselves vulnerable again all right um we have a prayer team the prayer team can probably come up while i pray and um Father, I thank you that we are made in your image. And because we're made in your image, we can interact with people in a way that reflects you. And I thank you that you have called us to a higher standard of honor than the world has seen or known before. A culture of honor in which diversity is embraced rather than rejected. A culture of honor that avoids taking up offense rather than taking up in the name of honor. I thank you that you value freedom and you want us to value freedom.
Holy Spirit, would you brood over our, our hearts? And if there, is, if there is a fence that's there, or if we have um, taken up a place of dishonor, or we have been wounded because of dishonor, that we could bring that to your throne. I pray for a sensitivity in all of us to, to care for each other's hearts, to clean up the messes, to build within ourselves a culture of honor, to create a, a culture here of honor where everybody gets to happen, everybody gets to be authentic, everybody gets to show up. In Jesus' name, amen.